0: You do take it home. You take it home every day. You think about the guys because they're like your become like your family, like your kids. Here, trust is a, a really shaky commodity. You want guys to be able to trust that if they say something to you like I was using last night, you're not gonna say, Okay, you're fired. It's okay. We'll go home and clean up and when you're ready to come back, let's let's talk about it then. Addiction plays a big part within the system. And I know that because every time I was arrested, I was intoxicated. A parole officer will just, something as simple as a guy saying, I don't agree with you. They'll call that deteriorating attitude and they will go back to jail for that, something that simple. I'm literally just going out to have fun with my friends. Um, maybe we are drinking and uh, policeman happens to question us or take an ID, Um, there's a curfew, there's an alcohol condition, he smells alcohol on me, then I'm going to jail.
1: Joining us on the phone today on Moving Radio is uh, another guest, this isn't the first time I've had a guest like this, of someone that I met when they were significantly younger. Well, I guess I shouldn't age you quite like that, Anthony, but let's just say younger, (laughs) Anthony Gertz is on the phone today talking to us, the director of uh, the brand new documentary, The Line. It just recently screened at the Metro Cinema. Two sold-out showings, still impressive, even with limited numbers in an audience. And you can also catch it on Optic TV. You know what? If you really are a giver, then maybe check it out by renting it or buying it on Vimeo. Anthony, welcome to Moving Radio.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Ah, It is my pleasure. It is my pleasure. Look, for anybody that didn't get a chance to attend the screening at Metro, maybe just explain to us, uh, you know, how the film is, and I pulled this off your the site, about a community in an unlikely place made up of some of the most marginalized, stigmatized members of Edmonton's larger community. The
2: the origin of this film is this. I took a tour uh, several years ago, as many people do. I think it's still in the grade four curriculum and on the tour i was marveling as everyone was at the technology at edmonton's waste management center as some of your listeners may know or maybe not about 10 years ago edmonton was really on top of the world in terms of waste management well how we were dealing with it we had closed our landfill at clover bar which is where the waste management center was or is and we had opened this centralized sorting facility called the Integrated Processing and Transfer Facility. And basically what that means is all the garbage trucks, all the city residential and commercial waste come there. They, they dump their loads onto the floor that gets sort of sorted into these hoppers that breaks it down. It feeds it into this massively complex conveyor system. And it goes through these long rooms where people sort it. So each person will be standing at a station uh, looking to sort out, say, metal objects or oversized objects that might clog the tumblers or propane tanks or electronics that can be uh, broken down at the facility's electronics waste management area. So we're all, we're all there marveling at this technology, but then I see an interaction happen between the head of the company and one of the uh, sorters on the line. Their conversation, she, she, she took him aside. They, their, they talked for a little while and their conversation ended in a hug and we, we, we carried on with the tour. She carried on with, the, with guiding us on this tour and I was so curious about what happened and I said, hey, what happened there? And She said, well, Stacy, he's, he's just been promoted to the lead hand position and so now he's got to lead people where, where, that he used to just work alongside and he's feeling a bit alienated from his peers. And that was the answer, and we, we, we kept going on. But I was struck in that moment by a few things. One, that she would be sensitive to how he was feeling, that they could talk about it openly, and that it ended in a hug. So at the end of the tour, everyone we're all getting ready to leave, and Stacy comes back to the group, and he says, hey, uh, sorry to interrupt you guys, and we all perk up. And he seems in a better mood. He says, I just want to tell you why I will never quit this job. When I came in for an interview, it was the first time in more than a decade that somebody looked at me and didn't see a criminal but saw a man. And in that moment, the tears were like in my throat. And I thought, oh, okay, there's something, there's something happening here. I got to know Kathy, the woman who runs the facility. And I got to know that she hires people with barriers to employment. So that is very often uh, folks with criminal records. That can also be people newcomers to Canada Um, whose experience or education doesn't, you know, immediately translate, which is a lot of people. It it could be people with disabilities of various kinds, although not all because the work is fairly physical, or, you know, people who are struggling with addictions. And so basically this work serves to give stable, meaningful employment to some of the most marginalized members of our city. And not only that, it's a, a community for people, a place where a lot of folks feel really safe and feel really seen sometimes for the first time I don't think I'm romanticizing that and Kathy and her staff lead by an ethic of love they she's been to court dates and bail hearings and helped people find housing and uh, you know if, if somebody doesn't show up for work one day it, it will it will bother her to the point that she's actually driven around looking for for people, her fear that maybe they're using again or they're just in a bad way, she just really, really cares. And it doesn't just extend to the current staff, it's staff that's that's left there. And it, it's a place that, you know, it's, it's sort of garbage of all things. Something that we may look down on or we, you know, we may see as an abject job dealing with our abject objects. Uh, but it's a place where people feel not only they belong, but also happy and proud to come to work so I had to make a movie
1: yeah that's what I think is really most engaging about this is that it maybe it started this way as an examination of the waste management center here and but it ends up becoming just like an industrial backdrop for the people working for quality (laughs) one training and support you know you you already mentioned Kathy who's the general manager of the facility and uh there are so many employees that have incredible stories It'd be really difficult to to talk about them all. And you know what? That's why you should see the movie. But uh, maybe just tell us a little bit about some of those employees. Aaron would be one person that gets focused on specifically a lot in the film. And just maybe that idea of covering the relationship within that facility. You know, what, what challenges that might have presented for you in kind of being delicate about approaching those relationships and talking to them about how they feel about that job and what it means to them?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. And we certainly had our share of challenges. The biggest challenge was a challenge of access. So I, like I said, have known Kathy for years. I've gotten to know some of the staff there. I got to know Stacy quite well. Uh, and so we, we began filming based on, on, on good faith, on just knowing the staff, knowing Kathy. And we thought we were crossing our T's and dotting our I's by getting release forms signed by everybody and talking extensively with everybody about what the project might look like. Working on the line, we actually worked on the line alongside folks uh, and just tried to build relationships for months before we ever shot a frame of film. Uh, And then when we started shooting, it was going quite well until I tried to arrange a ride-along in some city garbage trucks. So basically, uh, once our garbage is sorted, this is excluding recycling and compost, our our garbage itself is sorted, and much of it is diverted from landfill, although less and less because, well, long story, China's not taking the West's recyclables anymore and we're producing more. But essentially, then that is taken to a landfill 85 kilometers southeast to Riley, Alberta. landfill run by a company called beaver hill solutions and so i called beaver hill solutions and i asked them if we could come along in some garbage trucks and film just that process of uh, where our garbage final resting place is and they were quite wary of letting us film there and and ask if i have a contract with the city of edmonton who owns the edmonton waste management center and i didn't and so they got in touch with the city, and the city essentially told me to stop filming until we could work out a formal contract. That's fair enough. That um, that was an oversight on my part and a lesson learned to secure access in writing. But it began a six-month-long process where I had to lawyer up and negotiate a contract with the city, after which we only got six filming days out at the Waste Management Center, which is not a lot for, for anything, let alone documentary, especially the approach that we were hoping to take, which is film, 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 film. And then in the final movie, include just the best moments of insight. We had to be really, really focused and we had to really plan and then we had to hope for magic. And so I wanted to document what I witnessed as the relationships in the Waste Management Center itself. But in the film, that doesn't, that doesn't come across as strongly as I wanted it to because we were just there for so short. And that was broken up by six months. So when we finally did get to go back there, we went with full filming days planned. And there were some new staff and there were some old staff that were not there anymore. And so it was really hard to find those moments of relationship uh, that we wanted to find, you know, people hugging and, talking at work. And it was, uh, we had to sort of reestablish trust that we'd already worked hard to build. With Aaron, I knew right away that he was somebody that was a new hire after this six month contract negotiation. When we came back, Aaron was a, a, a new hire there. Right away, I we got along and I, I really admired his stoicism. Uh, and, I, and I approached him about uh, letting us film him not only at work, but in his home and in his home life. And and to, to, to do interviews with him. And he was a little bit reluctant at first because he's a fairly shy and private person, but he understood what the project was going to be and what our what our aims were, and that it was a challenge. He wanted to accept it for that reason. So we were able to develop a, not only a good working relationship, but a friendship. Like a, I still text Aaron regularly. Gerardo, our cinematographer, still is in contact with him regularly. We really are attached to those to those folks out there i mean we we also made friends with a, a fellow named gaio who went back to prison while we were making the film and we we kept up a, a male correspondence with him the whole time and he was actually at the premiere as well uh which was quite awesome to see him again even if we could only kind of, you know, slap elbows. It was, a, it was a challenge that we took really seriously to make sure that everybody involved knew what we were doing and was on board with having their lives documented because it's a big ask for, for people, especially people who may, who are risking being judged by anybody watching it. Their flaws are going to be on display as well as their strengths. And for, for Aaron, for Kenny, for Stacy, all people we talked to in the film, they have criminal records. That's a big ask. We knew, we knew that going in. That was a big ask to, to ask them to talk about it on camera and kind of like let us in. But I think we got that. I think we got these moments of honesty. And I'm really proud and grateful more than anything about what we were able to, to get and put together.
1: We're speaking on the phone today with Anthony Gertz, the director of the documentary The Line. You can catch it on Optic TV or you can also search it out on Vimeo to rent or buy it. You know, one of the things that you were just talking about is the importance of creating that relationship in whoever may be the participants in the film, right? And and that's always vitally important in any documentary, particularly if you want to peel back the layers of, of someone's life. But at the same time, you're kind of balancing this idea of, well, I'm also shooting a film, and it's got to look kind of cinematic, and it has to have an idea of some thought of the way things should look. So how much do you have to balance this idea of gaining trust, but then also at the same time putting that director's hat back on and always thinking about what's the shot? You know, you're almost kind of taking care of two things. This person that's in front of you that's sharing, you know, their entire life and how things look.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, That was something that I was always thinking about. So going into the film, I wrote a treatment. I wrote a basic sketch of what I thought could be the narrative arc of the film. Of course, then you're making a documentary, a document of real life. And I don't know how interviews are going to go. Even I don't know how it's going to go uh, following people um, around their job or around their home. It was always a concern about what are we getting and is it going to, to end up in the film? I We shot a few interviews with experts on the subject of waste. Thinking at first that the problem of garbage itself was going to be a primary theme in our film, and when we were putting the movie together, we found that while those interviews looked good and they did provide information, they just didn't have any emotional pull. I mean, there were some great insights shared. We we interviewed uh, an environmental lawyer who talked about how when we throw something away, we think it's away, but there is no away. It's it still exists somewhere. And, and, and that was so vitally important for us to, to show that, well, we, we throw these things away and they're designed to, to be out of sight, out of mind. We didn't want to bog the film down with not only facts and figures, but we didn't want to, to, to preach at people. We just wanted to, to show people. So we ended up getting rid of those expert interviews and focusing instead on the people who work there and trying to create these portraits of, 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 of people that you could, you could empathize with. Because I think there is a poetic parallel between especially the idea of, of waste and incarceration. I mean, incarceration, which many of the Quality One employees have had to go through, is another problem that is, by design, out of sight and out of mind. And so I think that there is a, a poetic parallel between what we throw away and who we throw away, so to speak. The people that we see and deem as as, as worthy citizens, you know, like if, a, if an inmate's rights are eroded, it's like, oh, well, they well they messed up in the first place, you know? It's like we have this idea that, that, they, that they deserve it. And we need to keep in mind that not only are we responsible for the waste that we produce, we are responsible for every member of our community. These are our brothers and sisters. These are our, our friends. And I see Quality One and the work that they do as an act of love and a beautiful act of redemption, an opportunity for redemption for a lot of people. I'm really proud of them, and it was, it's been an honor to, to do this work. I love them. <laughs>
1: So joining in. that's OK. That's OK. We like dogs on moving radio. It's all right. In watching the film, I was really impressed by the direction of it from you, because like there were so many different visual elements, I thought for myself, like it made me kind of think of like Bertinsky's manufactured landscapes in some ways. There's 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 elements of that you, you know, you take these vintage educational films and kind of slip them in there. And then there's even that kind of cheeky little montage of the, the ballet of the trucks and, and the facility itself. Um, but also the tender moments of uh, of these people interacting and how their lives are affected. So, you know, what what was kind of like your plan directorially as you're we approaching the film? You talk about how it kind of shifted gears once you got in there and realized maybe that that had to change uh did you feel like you had the right plan going in but you had to kind of you know change on the fly
2: yeah that's a that's a great question um yeah we we did have to change on the fly as I mentioned we i I, I went in having written this this treatment this approach this plan for what I thought could be the narrative arc and we quickly found that uh, we didn't want to bore people with with figures and it's it's great that you bring up Bertinsky because I think one of the most powerful things about the films that he's a part of, the, the images that he makes, are allowing us to reflect on the impact of human behavior. You know, seeing these massive mines in Russia and not saying anything about them, just pairing them with beautiful music. We get to really see the actual physical impact of human beings about what we, what we do. And, and, and waste is a problem that we contribute to every day. We don't need to look at it. And I don't want to browbeat anyone. You know, talking too much about how dire the the situation is can just lead to despair. And I, I wanted to show it in such a way that the beauty would make people feel hope and be motivated from that place. And a lot of that beauty uh, came after the fact. You know, we were we were there, as I said, just trying to collect as much as many images as possible but so much of the emotional power of that comes from the images which are largely Gerardo Ramos our cinematographer deserves the praise there but also the sound design by Tomas Shandel. when I started seeing what he was putting together I was I was so moved and it was it really elevated the movie emotionally uh, the the score by Alan Wilson also known as Cold Dead Drummers uh, similarly just just blew me away I've mentioned already how how honored I was and am to work with the folks at Quality One. I'm also so honored and grateful to have the creative team around me that I had. It was really a a team effort. I've said this before, this film, it's uh, it's, it's a movie about community, it's a movie for community, and it's a movie made by community. It was my team are my best friends, and they not only elevated this movie to be the beautiful thing that it is, but they also kept me sane during this process and and encouraged me and, and helped shape the, the thing to, to be what it is today. As
1: you well, should be, it's a, it's a fantastic piece of work. You mentioned it earlier too, Anthony, that you talked about, look, we just want to shoot, shoot, shoot. And in something like this, you may create... Uh, hundreds of hours of content when when realistically you're trying to shave it down to one hour, which is what they want, and maybe somewhere at a max of like 90 minutes or more. So, the edit on a documentary like this becomes incredibly important. So, talk to us a little bit about you know that process in itself for yourself and uh, Robert Latte. Yeah, there's another guy I vaguely know, and And maybe, like, the importance of that relationship and sitting down and going through this because it feels like a million-piece puzzle that needs to be reduced to a hundred pieces.
2: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you know Rob, and, and I... Rob is my oldest friend. He is the editor of this film. And the relationship is everything. I mean, that's been a profound lesson throughout this whole process is how important it is to maintain healthy, good relationships and how important those relationships are to the, the health and vibrance of the film that you're trying to make. Actually, we, we started this film, the edit of the film started remotely. So I have a computer in my office that I use to edit with. But Rob Rob is a much better editor, the official editor on this film, and he was working from a laptop. And so we'd actually be working on the edit together, but he was in Cuba working on the edit on a laptop using these proxy versions of our massive video files that we had stored on the cloud. And it was amazing that the technology works that way. When COVID hit in March, it was actually kind of a blessing in disguise because Rob was then, then had to come back home to Canada. Also, I lost my job and had nothing to do but, but finish this film to edit. So we pulled long editing days and nights, long days and nights of color correcting,
1: the phone today with Anthony Gertz, the director of the documentary film The Line. It is uh, about the Edmonton Waste Management Center, but even more so, it is about the people that work there and that community itself. Uh, It screened at the Metro Cinema, but uh, you might have missed that. So you can still catch it on Optic TV, or you can even uh, give back, if you like, to the film by renting it or buying it on Vimeo. Anthony, uh, a real pleasure talking to you again. It's uh, a really impressive piece of work. I think you got a ton to be proud about, even though you were saying before you were sitting at the metro, white knuckling it for a while. It's kind of come out probably in many of the ways that you wanted to, and like you said before, it's probably most important that the people involved that were on the screen feel uh, great about it and feel positive about how they were represented.
2: We showed drafts of the edits to the quality one people um, as we as we went. And that was so vitally important. I mean, there were no objections to anything throughout it. Mostly, it was just, "Oh, this is this is great." But even so, we wanted to continue to have people on board. Even though originally I wanted to do like screenings of the different cuts at at the waste management center itself, so that we could just show staff on their lunch break or whatever. Um, Of course, COVID changed that which, you know, was, a, again, a blessing and a curse. But we, we kept people in the loop as to how the film was being shaped as it was being shaped. You know, it went through it went through several different cuts, as, it, as most films do. I think we showed them six different cuts of the film as it evolved. And, yeah, to have them give their seal of approval was essential, but then also to, to, to have people there and with their families. Um, one of the other guys that we highlight in the movie is Kenny, uh, who he became really close to, uh, became a friend, we helped out in his ICON, which is his uh, his volunteer organization that he started, which helps integrate ex-convicts back into the community through volunteer programs and helps people find work and also just a good brotherhood. He passed away during during the, the edit, which was devastating. And it was amazing to then meet his family at the second screening and get to cross COVID lines and give his mom a hug and just talk about, just gush about Kenny for a while. It's been really meaningful. COVID has taken us away from each other in so many ways. And it was so wonderful for my soul to have a day where, despite the masks, it didn't feel like that. It felt like we were all together in a room. You know, the love was palpable in the theater and... Yeah, I'm just so grateful for that experience, and I really can't wait till that experience is normal
1: again. Yeah, and if you want to share in that experience, check out Anthony's film, The Line, on Vimeo. You can rent or buy it, or you can also try to find it on Optic Television. Anthony, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Hopefully this is the first of many, many conversations we'll have. I hope so, too.
2: insect pests, no demand. The common housefly, as its name implies, plagues the households of mankind around the world. It is equally at home as it visits back and forth, between surroundings of finery and places of filth. A decaying animal carcass, or an open dump. you want
0: with you when you die. The kids. My loved ones. I don't wanna die with only regret on my mind. You know, about like that chance that I missed or like somebody's life lives I, I ruined or affected badly, right? Like I've done a lot of stupid shit. Lots. Um, I've hurt some people and the only way that I can redeem myself uh, and have any self-respect again is if I just like changed my M.O. and started helping people. They put on a pretty big show for Around five, I knew what I wanted to be. I wanted to be like my biological father. My dad used to drink a lot, especially when he picked up some charges. He was in the paper a couple times when I was growing up. And when that happened, like there was definitely a different energy when I went to school. When I went out with him, everybody showed me respect. One time I got in trouble from a teacher. Like I was in the midst of getting kicked out of the classroom and I lipped off to her and she's like, yeah, well, You're going to be a bad person for the rest of your life, just like your dad. I had this reoccurring nightmare for, like, the last probably four years. And uh, it's from being in high-speed chases. As the sirens are closing in and you hear the Ghetto Bird, the the police helicopter, you know, overhead circling with its spotlight. And then all of a sudden, boom, that spotlight's on you. And you're trying to hide. And they got thermal imagery cameras, so you're like, you know you're fucked. You know you're going to jail. And the worst feeling in the world is like thinking of my kids. Not going to see my kids for a long time, right? Kenny is a very articulate man and such an energy.